Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this podcast for College Success Formula members. I'm Tom Bodorf, co-founder of College Success Formula. The, tonight, or the title of tonight's podcast is 529 Plans, What You Need to Know About Them But Probably Don't. <laughs> My special guest tonight is Mr. Chuck Moore. Now, Chuck is our senior tax strategist, and he's a charter member of our advisory team here at College Success Formula. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you, Tom. Well, Chuck, let's start off with the basics. Uh, first of all, what is a 529 plan? Okay. Well, there, there are several different types of 529 plans that people may not uh, be aware of, but according to the IRS, uh, it outlines this in publication 970 and defines a 529 plan as a college savings plan that is established by states who allow individuals to either prepay or contribute to account for paying a student's qualified educational expenses. Okay. Now, uh, some colleges uh, will also have their own 529 plans, which are normally your, your private universities, but there are very few, um, few of those that are available. I see. But, but mainly there, there are two types of 529 plans. There's a prepaid or a savings plan. And um, many plans basically uh, that are available out on the market today have both elements combined in each one. Now, your prepaid tuition plans in the majority of the states uh, have been discontinued because they cannot live up to the promises that they gave individuals to um, uh, pay for the uh, tuition. Oh, wow. And um, uh, to give you an example of, a, um, of the difference, a, a state uh, could have a prepaid tuition plan that has an element for paying the tuition, but also gives the owner of the contract the ability to use the funds for other qualified educational expenses. Now, normally what we call those plans are hybrids. Okay. And uh, every state... Uh, has at least one type of 529 plan available. I see. And, um, uh, of course, the contributions into a 529 plan are not tax deductible on a federal standpoint. However, some 529 savings plans uh, can be state tax deductible. Okay. So that, that gives you a little, little bit idea of what, uh, what is available out there on the 529 plans. And before we go any further, I just want to let everybody know, uh, I do not like 529 <laughs> uh, plans. They're kind of it, controversial, aren't they? I know some, some uh, planners like them and some want nothing to do with them. So you're not a fan for 529 plans. No. And as we go through this, it may come uh, become a little clearer why I, I, um, I'm not a big favor of uh, 529 plans. Oh, I see. Well, you know, Chuck, I remember some time ago you, you had told me something that I think a lot of people still don't realize is where the term 529 plan even comes from. <laughs> okay, that is, that is the IRS ruling. Uh, the 529 came out of the IRS ruling. And, of course, it's all into Publication 970 of the Internal Revenue Service Code. Okay. And um, uh, they have been several different types of so-called college savings plans that's been promoted by the federal government. Uh -huh. uh, and just about every one of them, like uh, the very first one that came available that it's still available, 
is having individuals put money back into double E bonds ah. and can take the monies out if used for qualified educational expenses could be tax free and the individual wouldn't have to pay taxes on the interest on on double E bonds. Oh, I see. Wow. Uh, and then they came out with uh, prepaid tuition programs. Um, the one that I had basically talked about, and the first one that came out was the Michigan Savings Plan. And uh, they were promising to go ahead and pay, you know, for the tuition and such like that of individuals in the state of Michigan. Well, uh -huh. after about a year or two years down the road, it went bankrupt. Oh, wow. And uh, so uh, they basically, you know, had hybrids come out and such like that. And now we've got uh, uh, normally the ones that are available for most individuals out there would be your 529 savings plans. Okay. And, and 529, is that's just nothing more than, what is it, a, a section within the it's Internal Revenue Code? Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. So it's Section 529 of the Internal Revenue Code? Yes. Oh, okay. I think a lot of folks don't realize that. They they mention this term all the time, but don't really know what, what it is. Okay, great. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, Chuck, I've heard you've mentioned now a couple of, of times this term qualified educational expenses. So there's some expenses that are qualified and others that are not? Yes. And there's where the complexity comes in of individuals being educated to a point of what can I use a 529 plan uh, for in, in paying for the cost of the education. Okay. And let me give you the definition of what the IRS says, because this is what basically, you know, is going to come down of whether or not the withdrawals from a 529 plan is either taxable or non-taxable. And is this actually defined in the section 529? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Yes. And according to the IRS, uh, qualified educational expenses are tuition, fees, books, supplies, and required equipment for enrollment or attendance at an eligible educational institutions. Now, these ah. expenses include reasonable costs of room and board for the beneficiary who is at least a half-time student. So that is what is designated as qualified educational expenses. So room and board is part of, of that. That is a qualified that expense. That is correct. Okay. And that term reasonable is always kind of iffy. <laughs> yes. And um, one of the things, I don't know if you'll you'll get into that, that particular question, is, uh, you know, what can a 529 plan be used for? And I can explain to you what I mean by reasonable. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, now, now, who is it that can actually be classified as a beneficiary for a 529 plan? There's limitations on that, right? Yes. Uh, who can be classified as a designated beneficiary? Normally, a 529 plan has an owner. Okay. And normally that owner is the parent or grandparent or someone else. I mean, I could be the owner if, if um, my neighbor over here had a had a kid that um, I wanted to set up a 529 plan, I could be, oh. I could set one up for them. So not just relatives? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, but um, the, uh, the owner of the plan uh, will basically have control over it. And of course, each plan has a beneficiary. Uh -huh. Now, the beneficiary of the plan is usually the student who is um, going to be attending college. Okay. Now, the beneficiary can be changed at any time, even after a 529 plan has been established. 
Now, oh. the owner of the plan can also be the beneficiary of a 529 plan as well. So uh, just because uh, you put money into a plan, the owner of the plan can designate who they choose to be the beneficiary of the plan. Ah, and I see. Normally, uh, that is a student. But then again, I could set up a 529 plan for me and I could actually be the beneficiary as well. And, and can that beneficiary be, be changed? Oh, yes. Be changed anytime. Ah, so it's not a guarantee for that student that they're going to have get that money from grandma or grandpa. <laughs> that is that is correct. Ah. And uh, uh, that is where the difference of 529 plans is in relationship to your Coverdale IRAs. Uh, you can be the beneficiary of a Coverdale, but then again, you have to make distributions out of a Coverdale IRA, which is similar to a 529 plan okay. uh, by the age of 30. To where the 529 plans me at age 68, I could start one up and and take it right on through and go back to college when I'm 80 if I choose. Now, on the Coverdells, can those beneficiaries be changed as well, or not? are they yes. locked in? Oh, they can no. too? Yes. I see. I think a lot of folks don't realize that. They they think of these 529 plan beneficiaries, and they, they don't realize that grandma or grandpa could change their mind and, oh, and yes. redesignate or even just stop that plan altogether, right? It's not a guarantee like some of these you know, trust funds are, correct? Exactly. Ah. Exactly. That's an important point for parents to realize. Yes. <laughs> okay, now, are, are distributions taxable when they're used to pay for these education expenses? Uh, I can answer that in two different ways. Okay. Yes and no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's where the complexity uh, comes in. And now, of course, your original investment uh, into a 529 plan is not going to be taxable because you've already allowed a, um, you've uh, already paid taxes on that money. Oh, so you're putting after-tax dollars into the plan. That is correct. Okay. Except if you do have a state to where they give you a state tax deduction. Uh, then um, and you um, uh, cash out the contract without being used for educational expenses, uh, and you're going to pay state taxes on your contributions. Now, are there, are there penalties too, or just you just pay the taxes? Oh, yes. oh penalties uh, and taxes. Okay. Yes, we can we can get into the 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 penalties if it is not used for qualified educational expenses. Uh huh. Or let me put it another way. If you do not use it, uh, use to pay for adjusted qualified educational expenses. And I'll, I'll get in, into that a little bit later. Okay, okay. Um, to where, um, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> there could be a 10% penalty on the monies that is not used for those uh, qualified expenses. Ouch. <laughs> Wow. But uh, if you do not use it for qualified expenses or adjusted qualified expenses, you will pay a 10% penalty oh, okay. uh, on the gain of the contract. Okay, now you, now you mentioned this adjusted qualified expenses. What is that? What is the adjusted? Okay, mean? there's where it really gets into the complexity of it. Okay, now since you've men mentioned this, distributions from a 529 plan must be adjusted for tax purposes when certain tax-free benefits are given to the beneficiary for educational purposes. Okay. Now, these tax-free benefits used to pay for certain qualified educational expenses 
must be taken into consideration when calculating the tax-free withdrawals of the 529 plan. Now, ah. according to the IRS, qualified educational expenses must be reduced by tax-free part of any scholarship, grant, or fellowship, any type of veterans educational assistance, any type of Pell Grants, uh, any type of uh, employer-provided educational uh, assistance, uh, such as um, under IRS Section 127, that's, that's where an employee will let you take up to $5,250 a year towards educational expenses. Okay. And any other non-taxable payments other than gifts or inheritance received as educational assistance. Now, that is what the IRS basically says. I see. So, in other words, if your individual student were to get, let's say, a scholarship, uh, let's take, for example, an athletic scholarship that, okay. that pays for their, uh, their uh, tuition and fees and uh, books and supplies and room and board. Okay. Okay? And so you have other costs involved in going to college, such as travel expenses, spending money, things like that. If you take money out of a 529 plan to cover those expenses, you have triggered a tax consequence Ooh. on those distributions. Wow, I think very few people realize that. <laughs> no, well, there's, that's one big reason why wow. I am not a big fan of this, because yes. 529 plans, they've been sold out on the market as saying you put money in here, you can use the money's tax-free to right. pay for kids' college education, uh, and a lot of times the individuals that sells these particular products are not telling them that you have to adjust the educational expenses in order for those particular distributions out of a 529 plan right. to be a tax-free distribution. Ah. Yeah, they're, they're sold as, you know, the, 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 uh, the accounts grow tax-free. That, that's all you ever really hear that's about it. 529 plans. Exactly. The and it sounds like a great deal. Yeah, but there's some restrictions just like here. Any, just like any other government program or whatever <laughs> out yeah. there, there's always ifs, ands, or buts. The fine print. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, now, Chuck, what about uh, tax credits? I, I know that there's these things called the opportunity tax credit, the lifetime tax credit. W what effect will those tax credits have on the 529 plans? Well, there's where some of the complexity once, a once again comes in, ah. is that individuals that can qualify for the opportunity or lifetime learning tax credits can claim the credit. Uh, however, if they claim the credit in the same year that distributions are taken out of a 529 plan, you have to reduce your qualified educational expenses in order to get the tax credit. Oh, wow. <laughs> in other words, if the beneficiary reduces uh, their qualified educational expenses by, let's say, tax-free educational assistance like a scholarship or whatever, the student must reduce qualified expenses taken into account in determining whether or not the parents are going to get the uh, opportunity tax oh. credit, lifetime tax credit. I see. And to, to give you a real short definition on this is that let's assume you had total qualified expenses of $8,300. Okay. And the student were to receive, let's say, uh, $3,100 
uh, in scholarships. The, you would take the 3100 away from the 8300 ah. and the only remaining expenses down here that would be left over would be $4,000. Okay. So um, uh, the IRS has a formula that I suggest all individuals to go in and give to their, their tax uh, preparer or whatever uh -huh. to make sure that whenever they pull money out of these 529 plans to make sure that they adjust those withdrawals in relationship uh, to maximize the opportunity uh, tax credit as well as a lifetime learning tax credit. And this is something that, that would all tax professionals, you know, CPAs, they're, they're aware of all these details? Uh, <laughs> they should you be. Know, we've got a lot of competent CPAs and, and uh, 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 tax professionals out there. Uh-huh. Uh, with what I have seen, uh, probably about 80% of them are not aware of this. Really? Oh, my goodness. Because the individual student, uh, or the parent, rather, whenever they t take distributions out of the 529 plan, yeah. they're going to receive what is called a 1099-Q. Okay. And that 1099-Q is just like a, like a 1099 uh, that you may get for your... Uh, dividends and capital gains and uh -huh. such like that. It's going to show you the how much profit you have in there and all this other stuff. Okay. And the amount of distributions. Well, if the tax preparer uh, does not adjust the qualified educational expenses from the 1098T that the student's going to get, uh -huh. based off their scholarships and grants and depending on how those particular scholarships and grants are going to be treated by the individual family, they could potentially have a overwithdrawal out of these 529 oh, wow. a tax situation as ordinary income now, Tom. I see. It's ordinary oh, income, capital gains or dividends. Yeah. As well as a 10% penalty on top of that. You know, when, when the IRS sees these 1099-Ts, you know, being, being part of a tax return, does that set any kind of a flag? Are they are they kind of looking at this to see if the, the expenses were qualified or not? Okay, let me let me put it to you this way. I'm <laughs> sitting here as an IRS auditor, uh -huh. okay, and I look at a tax return and I see an individual that is claiming the American Opportunity Tax Credit. I, I see the 1098T that is being sent to me uh -huh. by the colleges and universities. And I'm also receiving a 1099Q from uh, the um, <clears throat> the manager of the 529 plans. Okay. I'm going to look at this real close. I see. Because uh, once again, the IRS is in in the uh, the uh, business of collecting income taxes. Right. And since these plans have been out for for so many years, you're going to see more and more scrutiny by the Internal Revenue Service of looking at issues like that to make sure that the individuals is uh, utilizing their um, uh, their um, opportunity tax credit and lifetime tax credits sure. as well as tax-free distributions for 529 plans. Wow. You know, people don't realize how complicated this, oh, yeah. re this really is and, and until they maybe suffer some kind of a tax consequence they weren't even aware of in the first place. And this could go on, you know, for it. It could be, you know, three years after your student graduates. Right. And then all of a sudden you get a dunning letter from the Internal Revenue Service saying, hey, 
show us proof of, oh. you know, of this, this, oh. this, and this. Well after the student has graduated. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Hey, Chuck, what about um, rollovers or, or transfers? Can you, can you take these 529 assets and can you transfer them or roll them over in, in any way? Yes. Yeah, the okay. assets can be be rolled over, or they can be transferred from a five twenty nine plan to another individual. Okay. Uh, now, in addition, you can change the beneficiary without transferring the account assets. Okay. So, in other words, you can you can transfer the ownership of a five twenty nine plan, but if you're changing the beneficiary, you do not have to liquidate the five twenty nine plan to do it. Oh, okay. Now, if you roll over the assets from a 529 plan to another 529 plan, the rollover is not taxable as long as the rollover is completed within 60 days. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and this is very similar to an IRA. Uh -huh. Now, the rollover must be done for a member of the beneficiary's families. Now, who is the member of the family? Well, the IRS gives you a big, long list of who <laughs> in there. And it could be children or descendants of, uh, of a child, a brother, okay. a sister, stepbrother, stepsister, a father, a mother, okay. uh, a stepfather, a stepmother, a son or daughter of a brother or sister. And the <laughs> list can go on and on and on. I and see. you can even do it for your first cousin. Oh, wow. Oh, so quite a list there of, uh, of allowable transfers. <laughs> yeah, there are about nine, nine to ten different uh, individuals that you can transfer um, oh. uh, the uh, funds over to and, or changing the beneficiary of the plan. Oh, okay, okay. Hey, let's get into a topic that a lot of families, of course, are extremely interested in, and that's financial aid. How does, mm -hmm. how does money in a 529 savings plan affect financial aid for their student at a given college? Well, it, it basically back in, uh, in the year 2006, uh, under the Deficit Reduction Act of 2005, it made changes to the way 529 plans are treated when it comes to qualifying for federal financial aid. Now, prior to these changes, 529 accounts were treated as an asset of a student in determining eligibility for financial aid. Oh, even though the parent owned them, it was seen as a, a student asset? That is correct. Oh, wow. But the changes that were made, it allowed the assets in the, um, uh, the 529 plan to be looked upon as an asset of the parent. Oh, the parent instead. That was a good change. <laughs> and if, if it's an asset of the parent, then um, any um, uh, distributions made out of that uh, on an income standpoint, distributions from 529 plan would not be looked upon as um, untaxed income to the students. So that, that was a good change that they made. Right. Now, a lot of people basically have been told if you have money into an UGMA or an UTMA in some states. Yes. Um, those are custodial accounts. And that's owned by the student. By the student. Okay. Now, if they transfer this over to a 529 plan, then they've transferred it over to where it would be looked upon on the FAFSA form as an asset of the parent, oh, not okay. the student. But the ownership still remains under the student. Oh, okay. So, so on the financial aid form, it, that is actually a parent asset. 
Yes. But it's owned legally by the, by the student. That sounds like maybe a good way to go. Yes, that, that would be a good move, uh, uh, especially in regards to the uh, methodology formula under right. the FAFSA uh, formula. For the whole EFC and, calculation. Exactly. Yes. And uh, see, a lot of people don't understand is that the parent or parents have what they call an asset protection allowance based off of their age. Uh-huh. <laughs> that will not be counted in the formula. Well, when it comes to a student or a dependent student, they do not have an asset protection allowance. Right. For example, if I had $10,000 stuck back in a CD and I fill out the FAFSA and I'm sitting here at age 48, uh, my asset protection allowance under the federal methodology formula could wipe out 100% of that $10,000 right. where none of that would count on, on the FAFSA. Uh, however, if that $10,000 was in the student's name, then they're going to be assessed um, um, in the lines of uh, 20, uh, well, what is it? 20% uh, of that asset right. would be assessed as additional income. So having money into a 529 plan uh, and being um, uh, administered or owned by the individual parent, uh, it's looked upon as a um, asset of the parent. Therefore, they get the asset protection allowance. And for larger sums, like let's say they have a hundred thousand dollars, the the asset is only assessed at roughly you know five to six percent uh, if it's a That's parent correct. asset, but twenty to even 25% on the profile form if it's a student yes. asset. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that, if you're that's looking a big at event. the facets, it's 20. The, the CSS profile, I think it's 25. 25, exactly. So yeah. if a student does have a UGMA or a UTMA account, if they are in the ballpark of qualifying for financial aid, that might be a, a good maneuver for them to, to transfer this into a 529. Yes. Well, that's a, a possible strategy for a lot of families they probably aren't aware of. Yes, but the, um, I caution individuals on that because uh -huh. a lot of them don't realize how the FAFSA form actually works or the CSS profile. And that's right. where you you and your company basically do an excellent job on explaining to them along those lines. Uh, I normally tell individuals <coughs> that uh, you can have, um, uh, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 set back over into a savings account. Right. And uh, you're sitting here making $200,000 a year. Well, the asset is not what's disqualifying you for financial aid. It's income. That's right. That's right. Yeah, these, and, these uh, folks that tell families, you know, 100% of the time, get all that money out of the student's name because it's going to hurt your financial aid. Well, if their income exactly. is beyond a certain point, they're getting none anyways. And <laughs> they're really mis mis that's misguided information for, for a lot well, of these folks. Thing, they, they don't realize what are you what are you trying to get? Are you trying to get a Pell Grant or an SEOG grant? Uh, right. Or some type of need-based um, uh, aid from the state or whatever. Well, most of these uh, particular free money, I call them, uh, <laughs> uh, is regulated basically off of your income, not your assets. Right. So uh, to get the full benefit out of a Pell Grant, for example, uh, when they fill it out and everything, and then they're going to tell you on the FAFSA form or the, the um, student aid report, you do not qualify for the Pell Grant. Well, why don't I? Well, because your income to get the full benefit out of that has to be right around your adjusted gross has to be right around twenty three to yep. twenty five thousand bucks. Exactly. 
And if you're sitting here making eighty thousand dollars, you're not going to get that free not, money. Not a penny, and they don't realize that. <laughs> and, and you're not going to get the SEOG grant because you've got to be a Pell Grant recipient to get those money. See, right? You know, we, we've gotten to so many financial aid nights in our local school district here, and and Chuck, you can't imagine. Well, actually, probably the same in your area too. They they always focus on these federal funds. They always talk yes. about the Pell Grant. All there's more money available this year. The Pell Grant fund was increased. They never, ever, ever mention what the income limitations are as to who gets the Pell Grant. So we exactly. I've met with so many families over the years and with really solid incomes, even moderate incomes, and they just assume that this Pell Grant is for everyone. They, they need exactly. to start being told what are these, and they're low-income limitations that families have to meet. If you meet that, great. You get all kinds of federal money and even state money in many cases, but families are very misled in that area. It, exactly, and normally I call the FAFSA form as nothing but a... Uh, a student loan application is what it is. <laughs> for, for most families, you know, I've not heard that before, but that's, that's accurate for the vast majority of families that we yes. come across. Absolutely. Hey, Chuck, let me ask you what, one last question in closing here. Now, how does, how does money that's in, let's say, a 529, either prepaid or savings plan, how does that affect financial aid if the plan is owned by another person other than your mom or dad? Okay. This is going to surprise a lot of people, okay, <laughs> is that, um, as, you know, we mentioned earlier, uh, a 529 account uh, could be owned by a grandparent or other non-parent. Uh -huh. And um, those particular 529 plans are not, I repeat that, not reported as an asset on the FAFSA form. Oh, that's a nice okay? surprise. Yes. For financial aid. Uh -huh. Now, however... The United States Department of Education has published guidance on how to treat 529 plans owned by individuals other than the parent or the student. Okay. And according to the IRS, distributions from a 529 plan owned by someone other than the student or parent are reported as untaxed income in the next year that the funds were were distributed. For example, if uh, if I pull money out okay. of a five twenty nine plan, uh, it's my freshman year in college. Okay, and um, uh, I do. And my my plan here is owned by a grandparent. Okay, that does not go down on the FAFSA form. Okay, all right. Then grandparent then takes money out of this to pay for some of the kids' college education qualified expenses. Uh -huh. The next year when they complete the FAFSA, those distributions that were taken out of the plan that the grandparent had set up then would be looked upon as untaxed income of the student and will be assessed at a 50% level minus their income protection allowance. Ouch. <laughs> but that's nasty. Exactly. <laughs> that now, that defe defeats a lot of the purpose of this. Yes, it wow. does. That, oh. that, that's why I'm saying there's oh. so, so many ifs, ands, or buts. So this is one of the huge reasons you're not a fan of these, I take it. That's correct. Oh, now, okay. here's another catch. Let's assume you're into a divorce situation, okay? Okay. And um, mom is the one that is filling the FAFSA form out. and But dad over here 
started up a 529 plan for his kids. So dad is the owner? That dad is the owner. Oh, okay. Now, mom's information is the only one that is required on the FAFSA because she is the custodial parent. Right. Okay? Dad's information on the FAFSA does not even come into play. Right. But when the owner is someone other person, grandparent or whoever, including a non-custodial parent. Ooh, there's the gotcha. Distributions from these plans to the students count as untaxed income as monies received. Even though it's at 50% level. So, Even though dad is the biological oh, parent of the student. Oh, what now now if they if they're married, that's not the case, but because they're that separated. Oh. That is correct. Well, that's a big gotcha. <laughs> so a lot of people don't realize no. this. And it's very clearly well, I can't, I'm not going to say clearly outlined <laughs> on the FASA form, but there's a section in the FASA form uh, other on the untaxed income part that, okay. s- that mentions non-custodial parents. Boy, I bet that's by a, a lot of families. I mean, legitimately, where they really don't know that and they don't claim that. And boy, if, if the school were to do a, a verification and kind of dig into that FAFSA form and ask some additional questions to that family and that were to arise, that could, yes. that could take a, a financial aid package that the family thought they were getting and just do away with it. I mean, that could that really eliminate correct. it, right? Yes. And even, uh, even on... Uh, uh, let's assume you had um, you had three kids and you had a 529 plan on each one of the kids. When you complete the FAFSA, the assets of each one of those kids, even though two of them over here is not going to college yet, but one is, those two others, the the siblings of the student, must be counted as an asset of the parent. Oh, that's right. Even even for the non-beneficiary. Oh, that's oh, correct. Oh, okay. They don't realize that either. They think that they only have to claim the five twenty nine assets for that student, but that because it's student, it's a it's a parent correct. it's a parent asset, just like a savings account or or checking. They have to claim that. Yes. On on all the kids' fastest, if they have two or That's three in correct. college. That's correct. Now, why would why would that rule be applied? Because the individual parent, if they elect not to use that five twenty nine plan, can cash that contract out. Right. And put that money in their pocket after taxes and penalties. Right. Okay. So it kind of, kind of, sort of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But that's another gotcha. Another gotcha. There's, there's a lot of gotchas with these five twenty nines that families don't realize. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, well, Chuck, I want to wrap up here. I want to thank you. This was tremendous information. I, I guarantee you, there are so many things that our listeners have gathered tonight that they did not know about 529 plans. Uh, If anyone has any questions, Chuck, on 529s, how can they best contact you? Uh, They can go ahead and give me a call. I'm uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, they can give me a call at uh, area code 502-931-3137. That's my cell phone, or they can call my office at 502-721-8636. Four six, or they can send me an email at tuition. That's T U I T I O N. The number two, like one two, at Bell South. That's all one word. Dot com. Oh, perfect. Dot net, I think. Oh, dot net. Yeah, it is dot net. Yeah. Okay. Dot net. So tuition two at Bell South. Bell South. 
dot net. net. Got it. Okay, Chuck, thank you. Well, as you can see, Chuck is highly accessible. If you have any questions, folks, don't hesitate to reach out and go for, for Chuck. I'll be glad to help you. Well, I want to thank you, College Success Formula members, for joining us tonight. Uh, whether you're listening to us live this evening or a recording maybe at a later date, and I encourage you to visit Chuck's website, which is www.collegeliteracyacademy.com. I guarantee you'll find a lot of really great and helpful information there. Okay, so as always, uh, we're here to help you succeed as you plan for your children's college. And you can contact us at support at collegesuccessformula.com. So until next time, take care. Uh, college planning success to you, and may God bless. Good night.